The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. As we've been celebrating, it is an exciting morning for us um, to celebrate what the Lord has done over this last year. During our times in Sunday mornings together, we've now just about made it halfway through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and uh, we've been able to discuss such matters as divorce and remarriage, baptism, obedience to Christ, God's sovereignty, Christ's divinity, and many, many other things along the way. We did a series in the book of John for our Christmas season. We had a series of wonderful guest pastors who have come through and preached on a variety of things from God's Word. But the core to all of this, all that God has done And all that we've learned and all that's been achieved here in this church, the core of all of this is not primarily, as we've said, what he's done for us specifically in building up this church, but what he's done for us generally through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of the goodness of our Lord. That's what we stand upon. And it's knowing Christ And following Christ, that is our goal. As a church, our mission statement is worship God, walk with Christ, and witness to the world. Each of these things we do when we are close to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who we fellowship with to the glory of God the Father. It's Jesus who we walk with and learn from, and it's Jesus that we make known to the world. The past two weeks we've seen in the book of Matthew what a heart looks like that refuses Jesus and the expectation of judgment that awaits those who continue to refuse God and reject the offering of grace through Christ. But this morning, as we celebrate our one year together, we consider what the heart that receives looks like. We'll consider what it looks like to be faithful to the Lord As has been shared, this church building and the congregation of First Baptist Church of Malvern, many of whom are still with us today, has stood as a home for the gospel and a light for the community for 150 years in this building and 40 years before that as a church. If we want to carry on that same rich history as they have had, we need to be people who reflect what we're going to see and hear today, people who have hearts that receive our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our text this morning comes from Matthew 12 and 13. We're again going to bounce around just a little bit, keeping some thematic texts together. So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew 12, we'll be starting in verse 46, and we'll be reading then to 1323. And then we'll pick up verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray for our time this morning. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we cannot understand your word without your spirit. You alone open truth to us. As we will read this morning, we need your spirit to understand. We need ears that can hear and minds that can receive and hearts that can believe. And this is a gift of grace from you. And so we ask for that. 
You have come to make your kingdom known, Lord, and you've given us the scriptures so that we could know the kingdom, but we do need minds that can receive it. So we ask that you work in the hearts and minds of everyone in this room, that even as we read your word, that it would sink in, that it would make sense, and that we could understand. Pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matthew 12, 46. While he was still speaking to the people, this is Jesus, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depths of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the, world, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. 
And then jumping down to 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, we have what I think is one of the most well-known parables, the parable of the four soils. And we're actually this morning not going to specifically be breaking down this parable. I actually preached a message on this parable on Palm Sunday. If you were with us, you may remember that. It is on our website, so you could go back and listen to a full breakdown of the four soils there. But for a quick overview of it, the parable of the four soils, as we see in our passage, is a metaphor for how the good news of Christ is received by the hearts of of mankind. We see those who are hardened completely and do not receive it in any form, those who receive it but it doesn't take root, those who receive it but don't place Christ above the cares of the world and what truth was received is choked out, and then there is the good soil, the soil in which the word is received, it takes root, it bears fruit in keeping with repentance. And it's this last soil that we are primarily considering today. What does it look like to have soil that receives Christ? What does a heart that receives Christ look like? Our passage this morning opened with a scene of Jesus' teaching. This teaching is placed by Matthew to come on the heels of the rest of chapter 12, which had highlighted for us the lordship of Christ showed us his welcome invitation for people to come to him and gave us a reminder that what we do dictates what we believe. In our lives, our actions will dictate who's in charge. Now, in chapter 13, we are beginning to see responses to Christ. And we see the results. Again, we spoke last week last two weeks on the negative results, but here at the beginning of this section, we're going to speak about the affirmative, the accepting of Christ, and the next week we're going to hear about the expectation and reality that the Lord will continue to build His kingdom, and there will be many, many, many people innumerable who do receive Him. So here we have this little story as a transition from 12 into 13. And we see Jesus and he's sitting down and he's teaching. He's in some kind of building, probably a home, and his family, his mother and his brothers, so this would have been Mary and then his brothers, these would have been his younger brothers because Jesus was the firstborn of Mary, as we know. They're standing outside of this meeting space and they're asking to meet with Jesus. They want a word with him. Now, Matthew has not included for us their motivation in doing so because what he's focusing on is the lesson that Jesus is drawing out of this moment. It's not so much about them. It's here's a moment, an opportunity. Here's his earthly family. For whatever reason, they're seeking his attention. And he uses this to draw attention to our priorities, He asks the man who says to his mother and brothers, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He's saying, you're indicating to me that my mother and my brothers are standing outside, so I need to come. There's a a priority here. 
He says, but now I'm asking you, who are those who are truly my mother and brothers? Who ultimately are the priorities of my attention? This doesn't mean he doesn't love Mary and his siblings, not at all, but he's using this as a teaching moment. This is a a significant question that he asks for a few reasons. One, he's saying that we can become family with him, the Lord, the God-man. We can be his family. And two, he's stating what it means to be his family. And he's elevating the spiritual family, the relationships that we have to him and to one another through him above all other earthly allegiances. What we see in this encounter and in the rest of our passage is that true living faith receives Christ Jesus and responds to him in faithful obedience. So we're going to look at two things this morning about the heart that receives Christ. One, it hears and believes his word, and two, it responds to it in faith. So hearing and believing his word. In the book of Romans... Paul says, how then will they call in him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean you can only believe Jesus if you hear him in your ears, but it is a communication. God is a God who communicates. From the beginning, this has been so. His very words are the creative forces that made this intricate universe. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And from the first pages, we see him interacting with humanity. In the Garden of Eden, God and mankind had intimate relationship. Adam and Eve enjoyed God's good creation We see him walking with them in the cool of the day. He's giving instructions on what to do and how to tend the garden. But we know when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the garden, away from the presence of God. Now intimacy with God was gone. And though the heavens declare the glory of God day to day, they pour forth speech of his existence, mankind in our fallen state We don't perceive God as we should. We don't understand what the heavens are saying. We become fools and we trade the glory of God for images of mortal created things. But despite that, God did not end his communication with us. God continued to make himself known. He made himself known through the prophets through judges, through priests and kings in Israel, through men like Abraham and Noah and others. He would perform miraculous deeds before mankind, and then he would speak to his people through these chosen representatives to make known what these wonders meant and what they pointed to. He wanted us to understand what he was doing. Israel, as long as it's been God's people, were called to listen to his word, to store it up in their hearts and to understand it. With the coming of Jesus, 
Nothing changed on that front. Jesus, we are told in the Gospel of John, is the very Word of God. He is the full and perfect revelation of God. He's God's final communication to us of who He is and what He is doing. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that when Jesus comes, He's not just performing wonders and deeds because, again, We could see that, but we're going to interpret it in all our own kind of ways, but he explains them, and he teaches the heart and the mind of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and in doing so, God made his redemptive plan for history known. But the thing about speaking and teaching is it has to be heard and received and understood for it to be any good. That teaching will be no good if it's not received and believed. This is why Jesus has this common refrain, those who have ears, let them hear. We see that in verse 13 of chapter 13. And then we get this extended discussion in chapter 13 about hearing and seeing with our hearts and our minds. We get that in verses 11 through 17. Jesus calls us to listen to him. He is the worker of our salvation and he is the proclaimer and the explainer of it as well. But then in the midst of his teaching moments here, the disciples question Jesus as to why he chooses to speak in parables, which is an interesting question for us to consider. If God is a God who communicates, wants to make himself known, why does he use these images and and at times these perplexing stories? We read in verses 35 34 and 35, all these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been since the foundation of the world. Now, Matthew's not saying that Jesus only ever spoke in a parable. We know that's not true. We have him recorded as saying lots of different things. But what he is saying is parables were a frequent and Uh, marked nature of his communication and his public preaching ministry. And parables could come in different forms. They could be riddles. Most of what we get here are extended metaphors. They're stories. And so it seems that whenever Jesus did preach publicly, parables were a part of his discourse. And so given the oftentimes puzzling nature of parables and the challenge at times of understanding them, the disciples asked Jesus, what is up with all the parables? You may find yourself asking the same thing, maybe not necessarily about parables, but maybe narrative or poetry in God's word. God, if you're wanting to communicate truth to us, why do you use all this flowery language? Why all the metaphor? Why all the images? Why not just have this be more like a theological textbook Write it all out plainly, straightforward, scholastic teaching. Wouldn't that be the better approach? Well, Jesus responds to them by revealing his goal in the parables and sheds light on the whole issue of our sinful hearts and hearing and receiving truth from him. Jesus didn't come and spell all things out in some on-the-nose manner most of the time. And he had various reasons for this. For one, God planned to unveil his revelation in a progressive way. 
And even in this moment, when Jesus is teaching these people, he is making clear who he is, but it isn't a broadcast in this straightforward kind of way. That won't be until after his death and resurrection. And why is that? Well, for one, his time hadn't come yet to be crucified. And if he did walk around saying, I'm God, with no veil of discerning what he's saying, it would have been much easier for the Pharisees to have trapped him and submitted him earlier to death. He said it, but in these thoughtful ways. For another thing, we see that he was opening hearts and minds to understand. He's unveiling this mystery, as we said, progressively, and he's making known to the people the wonderful truths, the secrets, as you will, verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom, that God himself came to die on the cross for the sins of humanity, that through him all people might be reconciled to God. So this truth is being revealed in a controlled way that tests the hearts and minds of those who hear it. By God's grace, the Spirit would open the hearts and minds of many to hear and receive and believe Jesus' teaching. They would, with the help of the Spirit, be able to perceive what Jesus was saying through these parables. And I must say, there's no parables so obscure that we can't understand them, but they aren't on the nose either. They take discernment. So if you're not looking with eyes of faith, you can ignore, misunderstand, or misinterpret them. Indeed, we see examples in the Gospels where the 12 apostles themselves struggled to understand or they misinterpreted the teaching or we get reflections post-resurrection. Oh, this is what all of that meant. This is what he was saying to us. So Christ chose to speak in parables. And the scriptures, again, in fact, had prophesied that this would be true of his ministry. Verse 35, and in teaching in this way, again, he's slowly unveiling the plan and, as I said, he's testing the hearts of those who hear it. Now, how does he do that? Well, people see and hear and understand He's asking them, will they see and hear and understand what I'm saying to you? Or would you, as verse 14 says, hear but never understand, see but never perceive, because your hearts have grown dull. Christ uses his teaching ministry as a tool to further soften the hearts of those drawn to him by the Father as they think thoughtfully in the Spirit's power and receive what Christ has said, and it serves as a tool of judgment to those who in hardness of hearts reject Him like the hard soil. But in all of this, the parables and the way that the Lord uses it, we keep before us, ultimately, what did Jesus come to do? He came to reveal He came to make known. He came to proclaim the kingdom. Indeed, the emphasis here is not on the hidden nature of his teaching, but on the fact that he's teaching in the first place and that his teaching can be known. 
So yes, the Lord spoke in parables. Yes, those parables could be challenging at times for the hearers, but the Lord did not come to keep things hidden. He came to make them known. We are told that the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations. Now, this is not a mystery in the you've got to be someone special to know it kind of way, but a mystery in that God had not yet fully revealed the whole plan to mankind kind of way. This mystery, which is in verse 17, we are told something that the prophets and the righteous people from the past longed to see and understand was now being made known. The prophets taught about Jesus, though they didn't know exactly what it all meant. We read in 1 Peter, he writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is what's been proclaimed. Godly people waited for millennia to understand the truths that Jesus is now making clear. They knew God would provide a way of salvation. They knew God was sending someone. And Jesus is now revealing just what all of that means. Jesus didn't come to keep things hidden. Things that had been hidden since the foundation of the world. It's interesting, that prophecy there, I'll open my mouth in parables, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Yes, he's using parables, but he's not saying I'll use parables so that the things remain hidden that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. He says, no, I'm communicating these things to you now. And that's what Jesus has done. He came to make himself known. He came to proclaim truth. Peter, which he just described, the prophet's longing to understand what this message was. This is what Peter says that message is. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 16 here, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. We have heard the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That blessing applies to us. And we have seen and heard the full revelation. In this moment in time, they still hadn't seen all that Christ was going to do. Jesus came to make himself known. And the heart that receives him, to the heart that believes in him, more is given, more goodness in Christ, more understanding of who he is, more depth of understanding of this salvation that is ours. It says, will be given in abundance. 
when we receive Christ, the goodness of who He is and this message He's come to proclaim continues to fill us in abundance. But to the one who rejects Him, even what knowledge has been given will be snatched away, just like the seed on the hard soil. We see that in verse 12. Church, to receive Christ means to hear Him and to receive His Word. If we want to be counted as the mother or brother or sisters of Christ, meaning His family, His people, then we need to be people who hear and receive and believe Him. First and foremost, we believe the message of salvation, for it is in hearing the call of repentance and responding in a heart submitted to Him that we are saved. Then we proceed on as believers, as those who continue to pursue further knowledge and depth of understanding that we might increase our love and adoration for our Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in Hebrews, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. We are told in 1 Timothy that we are to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. We are told in 2 Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus." And think for a minute, this is Paul in 2 Timothy. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He is the pastor of a church. And he's not saying to him, well, now that you know Jesus, you just go on and teach others. He does say that. Timothy's supposed to teach others. But he says to Timothy, you also continue to listen, continue to hear, continue to immerse yourself in the Word of God through the Scriptures. We don't ever arrive With God, there's always more to learn about Him, and we always need our hearts regularly being reminded of the things we do know, which is why you will hear the gospel proclaimed every Sunday from this pulpit, because we never depart from the gospel. We need to be reminded every week, every day of the good news of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And we get that in God's Word, which says it is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The heart that receives Christ is a heart that listens to Him, receives Him, and believes Him. That is why we preach from God's Word every Sunday. We do. These are the very words of God. And we get to come together and we get to hear them spoken. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why I encourage each and every one of you to daily be in God's Word for the good of your own souls. Our faith comes from hearing. And our faith is grown and strengthened through hearing. Listen to Christ. Study His Word and believe what He says. It can be a challenge at times, but that is why we do this in community. That is why God makes us a people who spur one another on and point one another towards Christ. But as we know, there is more than just hearing, believing, and receiving, because if we truly have believed and received, there will then be an effect in our lives. 
So the second thing we see about the heart that receives is that it also responds to him in faith. The other day, some of the men from the church practiced teaching one another from God's word. I was really encouraged by that time and seeing how God's word is active among the men in Valley Creek. And Jordan Balsamo, he gave a message out of James, a book that exhorts us as believers to not just be hearers of God's word, but doers as well. And he opens his message with this great illustration about the typical exchange that happens between a husband and wife. And so I thought rather than paraphrase it, I'll just read to you. I had his manuscript and he gave me the approval. So this is Jordan's illustration for us this morning. He says, has your wife asked you to do something very specific and important? And your automatic response is, yeah, of course, babe, I'll take care of it. Then as time goes by, the job never gets done. You're later confronted with a, why wasn't this done? I specifically asked you if you could do this one thing. Being the men that we are, we often play the defense game and say something like, you didn't say that, or that's not what I heard. Other times we play the dumb game and say something along the lines of, what are you talking about, or I swear that's not what I heard. I don't even remember that conversation. (laughs) Jordan's on the spot here. That happens. How many times has that happened in your household? Or kids to your parents, how many times has that happened to you? I can think of countless times that I've done this very thing, unfortunately, to happy. I promise I'll get gas for you in the morning. Yes, I'll get that lunch made. Yes, I'll be sure to pick up that mess When I'm done with it, only to find that time and time again, the gas tank's still empty, the mess is still there, and the lunch still isn't made. In such cases, we heard the request, but we didn't act on it, which communicates something. And Jesus says, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and brother and sisters. Jesus reveals plainly for us the Father's will in the Gospel of John. He says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. If we are hearers and receivers of God's Word, we will believe in Christ. That is the definitive line of obeying God. This is what we just said a minute ago. We must hear and receive and believe. That's the basis of our salvation and the expression of faith that brings us into God's eternal family. Salvation is found in no one and nothing else. We hear and we receive and we believe and we act on that confession of faith. But then as members of God's family, we will not stay just as we are, but we will grow up into Christ Jesus. We see in the parable of the sower that the seed that falls on the good path, what does it do? It bears fruit. It yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And this is a theme that's repeated throughout the New Testament. In the book of 1 John, John says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus puts it even more plainly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, which is affirmed by James when he says, faith without works is dead. 
Keeping the commandments of Jesus is doing the will of the Father, and to do the will of the Father is what His children delight to do. We don't become children because we obey. We obey because God has made us His children. Our obedience to Christ affirms the salvation that He has indeed worked within us. We talked extensively about this theme throughout our Sermon on the Mount series, that even though Christ's grace is sufficient for our salvation and it requires nothing from us, if indeed it has been worked in us, the new life that we have been given will show itself through obedience and good works. Now, our growth in grace, it is a process This is what we call the process of sanctification. It's worked out over our whole lifetimes. And this process looks different for different people. Even our passage recognizes this. It says what? Some will bear a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now, this is not an excuse for us to slack in our pursuit of the Lord. That's not what it's saying. We ought all to hope to be that hundredfold yield But what it is saying is that when we look at our lives, there should be some yield of good fruit apparent, however small, however meek, however fledgling. If we have been saved by the Lord, our lives will begin to reflect that. Husbands don't necessarily show that they hate their wives when they forget to do something. Sometimes they are selfish, yes, but sometimes there is just some administrative weaknesses or forgetfulness. However, if a husband repeatedly ignored the desires of his wife, didn't care at all about her feelings, and refused to ever help her when she asked of it, one would have to ask, does this man actually love this woman? And I think to the onlooker, they'd say, it doesn't seem so. The same is true for us and Christ. We will stumble. We will fall. We will battle sin in this life. We will not do the will of the Father perfectly. Our spiritual output will be different from person to person. But if our life is marked by disobedience, if we're not repentant when we fall, if we don't care what the Lord says, twist and distort His words, or outright refuse to obey Him, then one would have a hard time affirming that such a person ever truly heard and received and believed the Word of God in the first place. It's the put your money where your mouth is. Valley Creek Church, to be a people who truly love and receive the Lord, we should be a church of people who bear fruit and are marked by His grace. Walking with Christ means pursuing Him and pursuing obedience to Him together. We hear, we receive, and believe, and then we act out of that belief. I am so grateful for this church because in so many ways, you all are so faithfully pursuing the Lord keeping one another accountable, confessing to each other, desiring to grow in grace and obedience. I see your heart for the Lord in the loving embrace that you have for one another. 
and those who come to join us. You display your faith in action through the way you serve God in this church in various avenues. I truly do see the light of Christ among you in this church. But though we see such grace and have so much to be encouraged about as we look ahead to year two and we pray for another 190 years of gospel ministry from this place, we have to continue to be people who hear and believe and respond in faith. We must be aware of the dangers that we face in pursuing that goal. The parable of the sower reminds us of two of those. It says we have to be diligent to be deeply rooted in Christ. That way, when the heat is turned up, we don't wither away scorched by the fire of trials. As a church, we have had a a relatively easy first year. We have been blessed beyond belief. There will be years, though, where there's great trial and great difficulty. Perhaps some great sin is exposed in the life of a member. Perhaps we take a big financial hit Perhaps persecution arises. Perhaps we have several unexpected deaths among those serving significantly in the church or among us. Perhaps disputes or disagreements begin to arise or perhaps we enter into another cultural time, cultural minefield like we all walked through a few years ago. We have to do the work now of rooting ourselves deep into the Word of God and pursuing growth and grace so that when the heat comes, our faith proves itself true and we persevere. And we must also, as the parable reminds us, watch out for the snares of the world. There will be philosophies that seek to win our hearts. We have to be wise and discerning of the teachings that are all around us. There will be temptations to sin and the temporary pleasures that it brings. If we give in to these temptations, our hearts will begin to harden and we could be led astray. We cannot mess with sin. If there's a sin that you are hiding or you're unwilling to submit to the Lord, I challenge you to repent. Let your brothers and sisters in and experience the grace of God. And I believe one of the most sneaky and deceptive challenges for us as a church will be the challenge of prosperity. It's mentioned here in this. If the Lord blesses us financially and numerically in this church, we must never let financial comfort or stability in our personal lives or our lives together to twist our purpose or lead us away from Christ causing us to cling to earthly treasures instead of Him. We don't make decisions as a church to avoid pain no matter what cost or to never have to take steps or acts of faith. We do not want to be those seeds on the thorny soil that get choked out by the weeds of this world. But despite these very real warnings that we must heed, I join with the writer of Hebrews who said, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. When I look at Valley Creek Church, I see a church that is full of hearts that have been graced by God to receive their Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here with us, 
as a guest or a visitor, and you felt a warm welcome, and you think this church is just full of unusually kind or loving people, it's not because we just happen to be a good crop. It's because it's a church full of people who have been affected by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior or you're unsure what that means, any of us would be happy to share with you further the good news that we have heard and believed upon for salvation. Church, I'm confident that our second year is going to be a year full of rich blessings and unending grace from our Lord. The Lord plans to use this church as he continues to make the good news of his kingdom known in this community, let us all continue to glorify our God together as we turn to his Son and seek to walk humbly before him. Let's hear and receive and believe God's word and faithfully together respond to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. We ask that you would help us to be hearers who hear, and hearers who do. Lord, and we thank you that we can act, that we can do, knowing that we are safe and secure in your arms, that there's no good work we must perform in order to be secure, but you have secured salvation for us through Christ, and we just pray that out of that salvation that we would flourish and yield a hundredfold bounty of good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to do. Ask that you would sanctify us. Help, us to make, help to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, that we could faithfully reflect him to the world around us, to one another. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word. Thank you for communicating with us. Thank you that we can hear from you this morning. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.